0: Thank you for that scripture reading. We're going to jump into that in just a moment. I would like to make mention of a couple things in addition to what Melissa has already offered in terms of announcements. Um, I I do want to say that in case we have quite a few um, rock and roll marathoners that come in as the last leg of their run, just make room for them as they come in here. I'm glad that our church is highly supportive of that and want to make sure of us crowding you that. We had a good portion of our... Let me rephrase that. Our early service crowd was a little low and I didn't realize that that many from first service would actually be participating in the rock and roll marathon, but <laughs> I was surprised. Um, I also want to uh, acknowledge uh, an important um, moment in the life of our church. This afternoon at 2 o'clock, uh, the memorial service for Jerry Hall is taking place just down at the Ellipse Chapel at the end of the Way. Um, uh, Tim Hall's mom, Tamara Hall's mom. Um, she's been a part of this church for many, many years, And uh, just uh, wanted you to know in case that's something that you too to attend. It's at two o'clock this afternoon in the Ellipse Chapel. Um, finally, I wanted to acknowledge something that we've said before, but I know that it's easy for somebody who maybe not be here every service or a miss day service to not know something that's taking place in the life of our church. Um, our uh, pastor to children and their families, uh, Shelly James, who has um, given so much of her life's journey to this church and the work with children in our community. 45 years offering leadership here at San Diego First Church. I'm not sure you heard that. 45 years. I, um, 25 of those is an employee, another 20 in volunteer service. I um, I don't know how to express how incredible that is, and how indebted we are to her. Um, she is moving into a new chapter of her journey, um, moving away from those weekly responsibilities, retiring from this job here. Um, but we are so glad that she is uh, planning to stay, and so maybe we can rope her back into certain things as time passes. <laughs> Um, Her last Sunday with us will be the last Sunday in June. In the last Sunday in July, we are going to have our celebration. Oh, come on, it was better than that. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Whereby we take a portion of the service, have a fellowship time after church, the last Sunday in July, we will be doing that. Um, so look for notices of how you might participate, notes of gratitude, um, adding to um, a social media piece that we might put together. Um, we would love for you to participate as these next few weeks unfold. To say thank you to Shelley, and certainly the um, unsung hero in many of those years, David, thank you for all you have done as well, David. Um, We are uh, looking at this passage that was just read that comes out of John chapter 17. It's the very end of the chapter. The entire chapter is a prayer of Jesus. It's the longest prayer we have of His. And it is fascinating in what it presents to us to listen in on somebody's prayer. And so I, I encourage you at some point in time to read the entire chapter. Jesus speaks about some of his own journey in the opening paragraph, and then he moves to to some prayers that are offered on behalf of those who are the close followers of Jesus. And then we shift into the section that we heard read, which is verses 20 through 26. And here we have Jesus' prayer for all of those who will become followers of Christ. So it includes us. A prayer offered by Christ over you and me. This makes this really special to me in so many ways. Here's, though, what I want to say kind of at the outset. I uh, listened in the podcast on your service last week. I was not here. I was gone. I'm out of town north of L.A. in a retreat that took place somewhere between Santa Pedro and Ojai. And it was a couple miles from the Thomas Aquinas College, a beautiful part of our state. Um, But this past week, I listened in on the podcast. Thank you, Melissa, for leading us so marvelously and so articulately into John chapter 14. And one of the things that Melissa commented about in John 14 is that it's a little difficult sometimes for us to actually step into the shoes of or the skin of the disciples and feel what they felt because we know the end of the story. That some of it takes away from the unknown nature that had to have been real for the disciples as the events are unfolding day by day, week by week, year by year. Because we get to see the end of the story much like the writer of the gospel saw the story, having written all of this after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. I would like to propose to you, though, that in this brief passage, maybe we actually can step into the shoes of the disciples because I don't think we know how this portion of the story is going to end. You see, in this portion of the story, Jesus is offering a prayer, a prayer that to me doesn't seem like it's been fulfilled yet. It is a prayer that says that they might all be brought into unity. We'll look into more specifics on these verses in a few minutes, but the prayer is very clear. Thank you, Father, for doing these things, and I'm praying for them so that they might be brought into unity. And there is a purpose behind this unity. The purpose behind the unity we will receive to, but it's so that the world may learn something, may know something, may receive something. Maybe I'm misreading it, but when I look around me at the world of faith, the people who are part of that, I don't see a whole lot of unity, or at least the kind of unity that is so compelling and so attractive that someone would say, oh, that's different. That's something otherworldly. That feels like it's connected to something divine. If I'm honest about what I see, I, I see huge canyons between... Groups of believers. Chasms, where you have to look real hard to see the places where there might be a bridge that gets us across. Fractures in the solid rock that makes you wonder if this is going to break apart or crumble. Has this prayer of Jesus actually been fulfilled? If not, I I just want to ask, what is our If not, what is our role in bringing to pass this prayer of Jesus? So that's the challenge this morning. When we hear the prayer of Jesus, is there something here that might move us to reconsider our participation in bringing to pass that for which Christ. Pray. There are other portions of this prayer that we can debate or argue of protect they come to pass or not. The, earlier in the chapter, Jesus offers the prayer, O oh Lord, protect them, keep them from the evil one. It's interesting to me that that the author who records this prayer is living in a time when he has watched the followers of Jesus be persecuted, put to death, harmed, injured, imprisoned, chained. Persecution that's certainly beyond anything I can imagine. So it's fair to ask, okay, so how did this prayer of Jesus come to pass? It's because on initial look, From my perspective, it seems like there was free reign, at least partial reign, of an evil one who seemed to have his way with those who were followers. So you could, at least from one perspective, argue that how did that prayer of Jesus come to pass, or has it yet? I will grant you because I believe that this is true, that there's something that happens in the faith of a believer that allows them to weather outward storms. I pray that in another worldly way. I pray that I have that kind of faith, but I know that it hasn't been tested the way it has for some others. But the kinds of stories where the disciples it seems to me, freely give themselves to the kind of sufferings that were perpetuated on them during this first century, and certainly in centuries since. To come through that with their faith intact, some experiencing a joy that they had the privilege to experience with Christ, the sufferings that Christ I'm not sure that that hardly makes sense. In fact, I'm not sure that it makes any sense at all. But spiritually speaking, we find over and over again amazing stories of people who maybe physically were not protected from the evil one, but something inside them, this seed of faith and faithfulness, this unity of spirit with Christ, that gave them a perspective on all that was happening that allowed to them to weather the most difficult of outward circumstances a will faithful connected to something that was eternal a willingness to walk through whatever it was because the Christ within gave them a persistence a Joy in the midst of hardship. A, a, a seed of hope. So maybe in that sense, we begin to understand Jesus' prayer that we might be protected, kept safe from the evil one. Well, this is that we now have at the end of the prayer this peace of unity. I'd like to propose this morning to you just for you to consider that it's really difficult to perpetuate a peace external to us if we've not really wrestled with the peace that is internal to us. As Melissa mentioned in it, last week, and as I referenced just a short time ago, I was at a retreat last weekend. I was in a retreat with 30 men, none of whom I knew before I got there, and none of whom I'll probably ever come across as my guests, Wonderful group, so glad I was there, but it was really just stepping into a collection of strangers from a lot of different places and um, engaging in this weekend with them and then leaving. I'm... I'm going to tell you of an opening moment that was shared around a campfire, classic retreat moment, where everybody is sharing just a little bit of what got them there. This moment I'm not particularly proud of. I didn't tell this with any, tell this about this to anyone there. But there was a person to my left who, after about half of the people had shared, he started. That's his name. Um, I'll call him. Uh, Nathaniel, because that's his name. <laughs> he spoke up and started to tell a little bit of his journey. I- I'm not going to go into all of the details of the specifics why, but as about two minutes passed, I found myself just getting irritated. wasn't a great thing to feel in that moment, but I was just irritated by what he was saying and how he was saying it, and the fact that it was going longer than we were supposed to go, and felt like I needed to be the retreat rule keeper right there. Call it out. We're going to have a successful retreat. Let's abide by the rules! <laughs> and there's just this little bit of adrenaline that starts moving through the bloodstream. And this little irritation that starts so small but grows faster than weeds grow. It didn't take long, I'm grateful for this, before it dawned on me that it really didn't have anything to do with Nathaniel. It elicited something in me that had not been addressed that I had not considered, that I had not dug deeper, that I'd not done the hard work of finding the pieces inside of me that needed attention. Not the kind of attention that is narcissistic, oh, all oh, look at this piece of me. The kind of self-reflection that is hard work that digs deeper into the places that create irritations outside of me because I've not wrestled with the irritations that are inside of me. The huge chasms that often we simply leave around us, is it not possible that they are simply reflections of the deep chasms inside of us? The unresolved hurt, the pain, the loneliness, the uh, the emotions that we've not fully understood nor fully embraced, the the conflicts between portions of our upbringing and the way we're thinking now and trying to bring resolutions to all of the defense mechanisms that go crazy when anybody even proposes that something in us might be off-kilter. Irritating the- Thank you, Lord, for bringing irritating Nathaniel into my life, that I might be reminded that I have a lot of work to do. I'm I'm not sure that that Jesus' prayer can come about without our willingness to step into those places where the Spirit the Spirit wants to send down roots that, that hold the soil of our life in a fresh new way that somehow draws nutrients from one side and, and pushes it into another so that health and wholeness can begin to take place in our journey it's embarrassing to say the many times in a week where that same thing happens again Happened yesterday as a woman was driving an Acura RL. I shouldn't know that, but it just caught my attention so much and went around on the far right side and just was trying to cut off everybody else's patience in trying to go to the three lanes that narrowed down to one and just found myself, oh, no way. (laughs) I am going to hug the bumper of the person in front. It is so no one can... What in the world is going on inside of me? It is not her. It is inside of me. Now, it's absolutely true that I can avoid this because I could easily find four or five, maybe six to eight, maybe ten people on this retreat who would have the same feelings and response. But what does that do? justifies my pushing away of addressing those things in my life adds to my oh so appealing self-righteousness digging gives me an excuse keeps me from digging oh I can find partners in this so let me make it too personal for you pick any Politician or media person that drives you nuts. Oh, just pick anyone. <laughs> Don't say it out loud, just pick one. Why is that person so irritating to you? I'm not saying that there can't be some objective issue that needs to be addressed. Sure, that's possible. Why does your blood boil, though? What is it that pushes so hard on buttons inside of you? Is there any chance, any chance at all, that that is a powerful light that goes off that says, hey, maybe, inside of you, there's some sensitivity. There's a wound. A place that takes you back to family of origin. You saw. A place that takes you back to you being hurt. Or a reaction to a circumstance that you saw in somebody else's life. Feeling like you didn't defend there but you need to be the champion now. What is it that maybe has not been brought into the full lordship of Christ? Not that being under Christ's lordship removes all of those things, instead is this heightened awareness that when it occurs, I go, oh yeah. This is a moment that I've been working on. This is a moment where Christ has been teaching me. Or, do we look for others who are larger with us? And make the chasm bigger, the canyon larger the distance further, whereby it's impossible to have fellowship with somebody who doesn't see the exact same thing that I see. You may be like me. I know how we can answer Jesus' prayer. Just everybody think like I do. Come on, join in. Let's get this done. That's not what the call is. Unity is not that we all think alike. Unity is not that we have the same posture on every situation. It's unity of me that this unity of purpose, this unity of faith, unity of understanding God's love for not only me but for the other, arises out of a place where I've allowed the Spirit to work inside of me. Sanctifying the parts that have not yet been sanctified by God's grace. Calling me to a place of honestly saying, Oh Lord, I find it so easy to get worked up about this or this person. Oh Lord, is it that scratching at a scab, a scar in my life, that I can't approach it with any kind of creativity or hopefulness or grace. Lord, before I speak up, help me to look in. Before I offer what I think, help me to listen to your Spirit. Help me to begin to recognize the triggers that unearth for me something that needs to be seen and held. I've read this book to you before. I know that. I'm not ignorant of that. But it feels so appropriate and important this morning. So bear with me on this morning of a child that Double dedication. If I could just read a children's book for you again. This is the book that maybe you remember. Written by Audrey Wood and somebody who's related to her, I guess, named Don Wood. I don't know much about the authors. All I know is this wonderful, delightful little child where he speaks about himself. And the title of the book is from the opening page where he declares boldly, I am... Quick as a cricket. But I am also as slow as a snail. I'm as small as an ant, but I am as large as a whale. Sorry, I'm retreating into my father mode. This is a book I read to my children and it just comes to me. Please don't mock me too much. I am sad as a basset, and I'm a toad as a lark. I'm as nice as a bunny, I'm as mean as a shark, I'm as cold as a toad, I'm as hot as a fox, I'm as weak as a kitten, and I'm as strong as an ox. I am as loud as a lion and as quiet as a clam. I'm as tough as a rhino. And I'm as gentle as a lamb. I'm as brave as a tiger. I'm as shy as a shrimp. I'm as tame as a poodle. And I'm as wild as a chimp. And I do all the chimp motions, but I'm afraid you'd mock me too much at that point. So I'm not doing it for you, just my girls. I'm as lazy as a lizard. I'm as busy as a bee. And that's when I would make the sound of a bee and tickle them till they ask for relief. And you put them all together and you've got me. What this wonderful child gets that I have so long put beside me or behind me is that all of those pieces comprise me. I find in Jesus' story that there are things that Jesus does away with. He, He casts out, he casts away in people's lives. But it seems like those things that Jesus casts away are those things that are foreign to who the person is something that's been imposed on them by culture, some harm or hurt that's come upon them that they carry this load that's kept them imprisoned, this illness or ailment that has caused them to be less than whole. There are all the kinds of things that Jesus did away with. There are all kinds of other situations with people where Jesus transformed. the woman at the well, with her history. He doesn't deny that she brings this history with her. He transforms that history. She still holds that as part of who she is, but this, this way by which blessing takes who she is, all of who she is, coming I mean, to her new direction. We find Thomas coming filled with doubt, crippling doubt. We don't see Jesus moving to a place where somehow that is denied or cast asunder. There is a transformation of the doubt and a new understanding of faith. Almost as if doubt is the beginning and then gives way to a new understanding of God's work, not only in Thomas' life, but becomes a powerful message to everyone who's in the room and now becomes a powerful message to generations that follow. Peter's brash spirit, arrogant approach, and yet it's that very thing that Jesus transforms into amazing leadership. This passage of scripture speaks about knowing God. I, I, I want you to hear this prayer. It's, it's a prayer where Jesus, having prayed for his immediate followers, says, but I'm not only praying for them alone. I'm praying also for all of those who will believe in me that because of their message. I'm praying this so that they might be One. Father, just like you are in me and I I am in you, that they might be in us so that the world will know that you sent me. I'm going to pour out my glory upon them, the glory that you've given me, so that they might be one just as we are one. Hear this powerful verse. I in them... You in me, so that they might be brought to perfect unity or completeness or wholeness. That's Jesus' prayer. But there's a purpose behind it. What follows is this, that the world might know that you sent me And that the love you have for me is the same love you have for them. Oh, wow. The love that God has for the Son is the same love that God has for you and me? That's mind boggling. If that's not enough, listen to the next verse where it says, and oh Lord, I want all of those that you've given to me to be with me right here, right where I am, so that they might see my glory, the glory that you've given me because of your love that was there before the foundation of the world. Put those two verses together. That they might know that the same love you have for me is the same love you have for them. The love you have for me was there before the foundation of the world. That's the love has for you. Before the foundation of the world was even laid, this passion for creation, for you as God's creation, that's the love described in this prayer. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known and I will continue to make you known. This word know and known. It's one of the strongest words that could be used in that language. "Egnō" for, noroetius. I can't even pronounce it well. But it's Greek for knowing not with just my mind. ...but with my heart, because it includes the sense of knowing with a feeling that comes with it. But it's neither an academic assent that I've figured out this truth... ...or a feeling that moves me to a place where I go, ooh, that feels great. It is a knowledge that includes an intimate relationship... ...an intimacy between the father and the son... ...but it is said that I have made you known to them... And will continue to do so, so that the love you have for me can be in them, and that I can be in them. If our calling is to live into the prayer of Jesus, this is a calling to participate in the hard work of bringing about a depth of sanctification within us, a, a unity of faith, an understanding of love that permeates into all of the parts of who I am so that Christ might bring them together in a harmony in which you were created. In a perfection that depicts the way in which you were created to be. When that occurs in me, and occurs in you, then there is something that happens between us that depicts a unity that is connected to eternity. So you've heard this same theme for several weeks. Being God's temple, you being God's temple, and the sacredness of the space between us. That unity can only come about, I'm convinced, within a hard work of moving back to the place where God's spirit moves within us to all of the hard, scarred, difficult, calloused places of our life's journey. The great trigger, the great insight is the triggers that rob us in those moments of peace, of hope, leave us in a place that's cynical, sarcastic. Flippant, angry, hostile. None of those emotions do we need to shame away, but simply say, oh, this needs to lead me to reflect upon what's going on inside of me. That oh might lead us to a place where the world might go, oh, that's different. That's not the church reflecting culture. That's the church reflecting the divine. This, my friends, is not an easy task. This is a call to discipleship. So before we move to communion, I would like to pray over you and for you. You've now heard this prayer two times. I'm going to pray it a third time. I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable, but I'm going, going to invite those who would like to do this to join in with others whom I guess may want to do this as well. I think very often that when I hear something, <clears throat> I take it in with my mind very well. But there's something about taking it into the totality of who I am. My body, my heart, my mind my soul, my spirit. Almost as if I might breathe in truth so that it works its way into all of who I am. This is the beautiful imagery of the bread and the cup taken into us, becoming part of who we are. So I'm going to invite you just for a moment, bow your heads for a prayer that I'll offer in a few moments. I would like to encourage you to change posture in some sort. For some, it may mean to stand right where you are. For others, you may want to come to an altar and kneel down. You might want to kneel right by your seat. If any of those things makes you uncomfortable, just to change the posture of where you are in your seat. As a symbol to yourself, Spirit, that you want to take this. Spirit of Christ, sanctifying all of who you are into yourself, allowing God to work God's good work in you. So I invite you in whatever fashion, as I am just quiet for a few moments, to consider changing posture.